For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure. Hello and welcome to ACG Wealth Management's Beer Markets, uh, our monthly podcast to talk a little bit about the markets. This is Bobby Moyer and I'm joined uh, with Sandy Wiggins, our ACG's president. How's it going, Bobby? Glad to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining me. I'm going to open my beer. I'll just tell you what I've got. You know, we've got, we're filming this on March 14th. We are a couple days away from St. Patrick's Day. I wanted to stop and get a, a Guinness, but I, I didn't have the time. So I, I'm drinking a Hardywood gingerbread stout. You know, I'll, I'll stay in the stout family just because we're so close to uh, to St. Patrick's Day. Uh, so I'm, enjoy, I'm ready to enjoy this. And usually something I like around the holidays, around the Christmas time. Well, I am going to go uh, a little um, in a different direction. I'm going to drink an ale, a, a, a ginger ale today, the Canada Dry Special. It's been a, a, a pretty uh, volatile week or so in the markets, and we'll get into that. And so I think it's probably better for me if I have a uh, ginger ale today and maybe a, a shot of tequila this evening. So let's, let's see where this conversation goes. Yeah, well, good. Perfect. Well, thanks. Let's dive into it. So we've got a lot of, a lot of data going on. We expected that in March, coming into March. You had the Fed uh, testimony the first week in the month that um, we'll touch on a little bit. You had uh, an unemployment number, a labor report come out last Friday on the 10th. Uh, then we had unemployment come out this morning, and we thought that was going to be the highlight of our conversation today. And then we've got some bank failures uh, last week, starting Wednesday, Thursday, Friday last week. We got a little bit of news. Uh, Silvergate, uh, a relatively large uh, bank, uh, central lender to the crypto industry, they had about $11 billion in assets. They had been struggling for months, you know, kind of with a lot of the crypto companies, and they ended up uh, closing down. Uh, last last week. Then following that up, you had Silicon Valley Bank, which was is a very large regional bank. And they announced on Wednesday evening that they were going to need a little bit of a capital raise just to shore up their balance sheet. That led to a little bit of a run on the banks on Thursday. And before you know it, by Friday, you saw the FDIC come in and, and take control of that bank. And then Sunday over the weekend, you had Signature Bank, uh, another bank that is big in the in the crypto world, they also uh, got shut down on on Sunday. Uh, so within a couple of days, you had three banks. Sandy, do you want to maybe go into details on some of the the different things that were going on um, with those banks? Yeah, I, I think one one point worth making is that Silvergate was a um, a company decision to liquidate, where. The other two banks were more market movements and just you know outside forces driving that. But at the end of the day, anytime we, we hear bank failures, it creates a lot of concern in the market. And we saw that obviously in the market from a, from a trading point of view on, on equities and even interest rate movements on, on bonds. So um, I think the biggest one really is Silicon Valley Bank, not only from a depository point of view, but the implications it has on the broader markets. Crypto uh, certainly plays a, a bigger role uh, than, it, than it has in a long time, but not nearly, it uh, doesn't have the tentacles that, that uh, Silicon Valley Bank has. Or has. Yeah, in Silicon Valley, you could imagine where they were located, right, in the heart of 
um, venture capitalists and startups. And that was part of this. You had a tough environment for startup companies and invest, uh, uh, venture capitalists over the last year with higher interest rates. And they had a large concentration of their assets in that community. And you know, in order to meet payroll and do other things, the bank balances, uh, the cash burn of some of these companies has been drawn down. And that led to, you know, a lot of their deposits coming out and them needing a little bit of a capital raise. And then what I think is interesting about all this is that you had, you know, one or two venture capitalists, pretty large players in the space, uh, send notices out to their portfolio companies that Wednesday, Thursday to go get your money out, which led to $42 billion round numbers that were, were withdrawn in one day from that bank. And when that happens, you get a run on the bank. You get, you get that concern. It's like, you know, you're in a, a crowded movie theater and somebody else fire and there's only one exit. And when you have that happen, in addition to some of the collateral they had on their balance sheets, and, and Sandy, you can touch on that, you know, the, the impact that higher rates had on, you know, some of the collateral that they were holding on their bank. Yeah, we, we all know from last year, the bond market had a tough time just with the inverse relationship between interest rate movements and, and the underlying value of bonds. And that played some role. Uh, I think it's still yet to be determined how much of a role, but let's say a meaningful role in how Silicon Valley Bank had to manage these deposits. They had bonds on their books. They didn't necessarily have, uh, as I understand it, poor credit quality. It was more of an interest rate risk issue. They had longer term bonds, longer term maturities, and that worked for uh, you know a short, part of, a short period of time. But once interest rates started to move up, it really created downward pressure on the book value of those bonds. And that doesn't really come into play until you have to sell something. And as you mentioned, Bobby, they needed to raise cash for uh, covering the withdrawals. They have to sell something. They're selling it at a, at a reduced or depressed value because of just the way they had structured their bond portfolio. And it was a series of dominoes that fell that really, you know, worked in the, in the, it worked them out of business. Yeah, $1.8 billion in losses on their held to maturity assets they held there. Uh, that's just, we talked about the Barclays Ag last year, you know, for other investors that are investing in bonds, that they, it was down 13%, the worst year on record, and all these things we talk about. And, you know, this is some of the impact that we talk about with the Fed. You know, when you raise interest rates, sure, it's going to cost, in order to mortgage your house, it's going to cost a more expensive mortgage, and your credit card payments are going to be a little higher, higher rates. But this is real life. This It all is real life. But this is hurting companies and it hurt the startup community, it hurt the venture capitalist community, it hurts the banking industry. And, you know, there's been some rumors out there that I think might be coming out now to be true. And I think we'll get more information in the coming weeks. But Silicon Valley had a poorly managed um, book of their business too. They, they, they weren't doing a good job, maybe taking a little bit too much interest rate risk, even though there was no credit risk in the treasuries, uh, there's still risk in bonds. And, you know, what the Fed did, raising rates that rapidly, is going to have impacts. We talked about that. We don't always know what those impacts are, but there are going to be impacts to the Fed um, doing what they did last year. And I'm sure we'll talk about here in a few minutes, what does that mean to their forecast for the rest of the year and, and what did it do to current interest rates? Yeah, I, a couple of things come to mind with, with what you're saying. One is, um, you're talking about Silicon Valley Bank and their poorly managed bond portfolio, 
we could probably look to the board for some fault there. You know, they just weren't necessarily keeping their eye on the ball. Um, and, and I'm sure we'll hear more about that. The other, the other thing that comes to mind when we talk about interest rate increases, we hear all these data points about what the Fed's looking at and, and the dot plots, and they certainly um, continue to say they're data dependent. But a lot of what they do is art as much as science. And I think what we're seeing now is the lag uh, that it takes for interest rate increases to work into the market. And here we've, we've seen something break as a result of that. And so the Fed, you know, was we, two weeks ago, we were talking 50 basis points, maybe more, probably not much more, but perhaps uh, a higher interest rate increase in, in, the, in the coming week or so from the Fed. Now, um, you know, earlier this week, maybe end of last week, it was talk of zero. So I printed this off, Sandy, right before we came in here, the Fed watch tool. And you go back a month ago, there was a 0% chance that they were not going to do anything at their next meeting next week. Uh, right now, as of today, on the 14th, there was a 26.9% chance that they were going to stay where they are. So just since the beginning of over the last month, uh, over the last week, you go back one week, it was a 0% chance. And now there's a, a 26, 27% chance of no rate hike and a 73% chance of 25 basis points, where if you go back you know, even farther, there was a 90% chance a month ago of a 25 basis point increase. And then we even saw, we, we didn't get into this yet, but the Fed chair, the way he was speaking last week and some of the inflation data that came out in February, that maybe we're going to see 50 basis points. So right now, it's the, the, the Fed has to take this into consideration um, of what's going on. And this is true liquidity. I mean, this is going to impact uh, the, the funding of startups, uh, you know, people getting paid potentially at the right time uh, with smaller companies that use Silicon Valley Bank. Um, so this is going to have a little bit of a ripple effect and, and maybe even slow down the economy. I saw some projections that recession um, probabilities have moved up now to four to six months. I think Goldman Sachs came out and said that as a result of this. Who knows? We, we thought that for a while, but we've seen a, a resilient economy and, and company. But this is information that might not show up in the inflation data right away, that the Fed also has a control to oversee and create stability in the banks. And this has to be part of their consideration. Now, my view, again, whatever that's worth, I don't I think the Fed's still going to go 25. Just is it to save credibility? Maybe. Um, I don't think they're definitely going 50, but this definitely could be the last rate hike now. Uh, a lot of the projections now say this is the last one and, and we're going to get maybe 50 basis points of cuts between now and the end of the year. But just that alone, the probability from the start of the year, um, we've seen significant movements in what we think is going to happen with the Fed. And we'll get, I guess, more clarity next week. The inflation number we got today, I was, I was anxious about this data because if, if we got another hot inflation reading, that was above expectations on one side. And on the other, you have a bank failure. You know, that really would have put the, the Fed in a tough position to uh, have to increase rates to fight inflation, but not to, you know, not to go too far that it, it really continues to slow the economy too far. So the fact that we got a reasonable inflation number today, which I know we'll talk, uh, we'll dig into the details there a little bit more, um, gives me... Uh, some, you know, I, I guess the word hope and maybe even a little bit of expectation that there's still the likelihood or potential for a, a soft landing. 
And, and if the Fed goes too far to fight inflation, that, that's going to that's gonna hurt the economy. And I get the impression they're much more interested in price stability, i.e. taming inflation, and they're willing to do that at the expense of some economic contraction. Hopefully, they just won't go too far in the process. Yeah, that's that's true. And we can move on from this topic, Sandy. There's, I think there's two more points I'll, I would just point out. One is, you know, the, the three-day change in the two-year Treasury coming off this news yesterday, meaning Monday, uh, was that the, the two-year Treasury moved 100 basis points in three days. This is the most significant move since October of 1987. Is that Black Monday, maybe? Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. so the monumental moves. I mean, these are, these are big moves that are, are being shown out there. And also the regional bank ETF, the KRE, is down 28% as of yesterday's close month-to-date alone, relative to the S&P down 2.8, and the small cap index down a little over 8. So banks in general, there's just a little bit of um, anxiousness around the banks and this everything we talked about with the treasury markets and their collateral and that sort of thing, you know, and, and that trading. Who is there anybody else left to fall? I think today was a good day in the market. Market was up and we, we got through a day without any more major news. A lot, a lot of the regional banks rallied, uh, which was good. A lot of the ones that were down 30, 40, 50 percent the last couple of days. Um, and, and, and I'll just comment real quick on Schwab. Schwab we have we use for custodial assets for some of our clients. And it, it's just all I'll say without getting into details. You got to make sure you separate Schwab Bank versus Schwab Brokerage. Two different things, two different um, ways all that is handled. On itself, I think Schwab is, is a well-run company. Who knows what will happen? Uh, they, they look to be quality and have a lot of good things uh, going on with their balance sheet and, and their business model. Um, but it's just important to remember that the brokerage and the bank are not the same thing, and you're dealing with two different disciplines. Well, and, and to echo that, you know, Schwab, I think, is a well-run company, and we don't have any concerns at this point at all about, um, you know, Schwab the the uh, the broker side and I think it's important to let, just let our clients know that and um, we're bringing it up because it is in the news and what I would also say is that there are lots of banks in, in the news all banks as you mentioned in the ETF uh, regional bank they're under pressure because of you know being in that particular sector so we could pick any individual bank and and probably find that their price has fallen a good bit over the last week because of all this news but that doesn't mean all banks are bad, and most of the banks are good, and the ones that we work with, obviously, we do our due diligence and depend on Schwab to do what, what uh, they do best. So um, if, if anybody has any questions on that, you know, I know they'll reach out and we'll, we'll address it specifically. But Yeah, one, one important note I'll show there on the quality of, of Schwab is more than 80% of the client assets held at Schwab Bank are insured dollar for dollar by the FDIC insurance, more than 80%, which that's in, from what I understand to be in the top of the top 100 banks, uh, where the one, the banks that were closed here recently had between 2 and 20% of their deposits that were insured. So that's just the quality of the deposits exactly. that are in the banks. And, that, yep. and that's important to show and, and important to talk about that Schwab has a, a, a pretty quality uh, a business uh, business model. Yep, yep. Well, good. Well, 
you know, we could move on a little bit from, from this topic. While it's a big one and I expect it to continue to play out and has played havoc so far in the interest rate market and, and Fed futures that we kind of talked about, maybe we'll hit on real quick uh, Fed, uh, Powell's testimony last week. I'm not sure how relevant it is today anymore. Seems like. <laughs> it's a long time ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the chairman was on on, uh, on the con- congressional floor talking and giving his his speech and you know, he was very hawkish. He, uh, you know, it, it was wanting to make sure that the market knew that he was going to continue to raise rates and make sure inflation was, was taken care of. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, I, I thought uh, an interesting, the markets were already on pins and needles a little bit following his his testimony there. But anything on that, Sandy? Yeah, I guess a couple things. One comes to mind, just nomenclature. We talk about being, you know, the Fed being hawkish or dovish. And, you know, a lot of people know what we mean by that. Hawkish just means that they're, they're you know, going to stay on the aggressive uh, side of increasing rates. Dovish means, hey, we're going to soften up and, and lower rates. So um, hawkish has been a term we have heard a lot of uh, over the last uh, year and a half or so. Um, you know, and, and my perspective is, I didn't hear anything in the in the testimony that was new, and he has been very consistent in his communication, and you know the market wants him to lower rates because that's great for stocks. But that you know that desire isn't necessarily going to change anything, and with him not throwing out new information, not surprising uh, anybody. I feel like the market reacted, uh, overreacted a bit, but all in all, I think he, they're 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 catching up. They got behind the eight ball. They should have raised rates sooner. They didn't, so they've got themselves in a corner, and they've got to stick with it uh, a bit longer. You know, hopefully they won't go too far. And as we just talked about, maybe 25 basis points the next go around. But I think he said what what. I expected him to say. Yeah, I think he inflation was a little hot in, in February and the economy and the jobs number looked pretty tight and he could continue to do it until something breaks. Well, something might have broken uh, and he, they may have to rethink how hawkish or how aggressive they want to be the rest of this year and, and maybe turning around that. Um, so we'll talk about the jobs release uh, that was last Friday on March 10th. We saw a, a pretty Decent number, maybe a little bit of conflicting information, but you had 311,000 new jobs versus an estimate around 225, so strong number there. However, you saw a, a little bit of an uptick in the unemployment rate, which rose from 3.4 to 3.6%. And I think a lot of that can be contributed to the labor participation rate, where workers might be you know, coming off the sideline and willing to get back into to the, to the labor force. And maybe they're being enticed by higher wages, although average hourly earnings rose by less than expected. So on one hand, let's call that a positive on the inflation front, right? If wages aren't growing as fast, then that will be good for inflation, uh, but maybe not enticing to bring more people off the sideline. Um, anything on that, Sandy? Yeah, you know, the other end of the spectrum of, of, of that is information technologies, you know, had, had a job loss. Transportation and warehousing had a job loss. Manufacturing lost a few jobs. Financial activities lost a few jobs. So, you know, inf- uh, inflation is really in the in the experience 
part of our economy, leisure, hospitality. Uh, that's where things are really um, getting the biggest push. And, and I think that's just a lot of people out having a good time trying to catch up from being uh, cooped up from COVID. That's going to change with, with some time. But, um, you know, it, it, from my perspective, it was a mixed bag. You had, you had some, something in there for everybody as far as data points. Yeah, nothing great, nothing bad. I think th these kind of all mend together a little bit when you look at, the, you know, the jobs and inflation. You know, we're kind of maybe going back and forth here, but inflation, you know, you, you continue to see the issues in services, but that's where you see the job growth, right? Leisure, hospitality, you just said it. Airline tickets, I think, are there. Are, I think we have the number here somewhere that are continuing to go up, but you know, so we need to find more people, leisure, hospitality, that's where the jobs are being hired, that's where the wage growth is, but that's where the inflation is as well. And, you know, you've got, you know, construction was still positive with jo jobs growth, which is continues to be very surprising given, now sure it's coming on the spring season and, and people building houses, but we see such a slowdown in the housing market that it was, you know, 24,000 new jobs relative to 35,000 last month, but still a positive growth in, in new jobs there. But I, I you know, the, the fact that leisure and hospitality was the leading industries again on job growth continued to say the whole picture, and that's people out having fun. People have shifted from COVID, from, you know, spending money at Restoration Hardware, these other stores, maybe even the Home Depots of the world, the retail, and they're out there, you know, buying plane tickets and concert tickets and, you know, hotels, do, hotels and, and yeah, that's restaurants. All, that's where the, some of the low paying jobs also are though. And that's where the job issues are, where people are continuing to hire into this economy. We well, yeah, and, and you picking up on the word economy, there's a lot, a lot there. You know, we keep spending a lot of time talking about, are we going to be in inflation, uh, in, in a recession? And if so, when, and in some of our uh, sectors of our economy, we're already in, in, in a recession. Others are still booming. And that's, that's a difficult environment for the Federal Reserve to be able to gauge the implications of their increases. And they want inflation to come back down, not so much that it hurts the economy. As you just said, there's sectors that are really still rocking and rolling. And that's that's good, but we don't want them to rock and roll so much that inflation continues to be an issue. Yeah, and you know, I, I follow Lizanne Saunders a lot with Schwab. I think she does a good job, and she tweeted out some of the labor participation stats and what we were just talking about. And you know, we saw the tick up from 62.4 to 62.5, but she also tweeted that the you know the the male participation is up to 68 and female up to 57, and this is highest since the but the uh, pandemic started. So this is a, a positive. Um, to see, again, people coming back and getting more comfortable and getting back in there, which more people come into the workforce, bring wages down, that's good to combat inflation. So, um, And they've got money in their pocket to go out and spend. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully that, that's able to continue without, you know, until we can break, break the, the economy. So with that, you know, let's, let's dive in a little bit to the inflation number that came out this morning. Sounds good. You know, one thing that, that my household, uh, kind of a, a Main Street inflation index that is talked about is the price of eggs. And, you know, eggs are still today 55% higher cost than they were a year ago. However, um, they've also fallen by 6.7% based on these most recent 
numbers, you know, poultry, fish, meat, they've also fallen. So, you know, we can all find things that it's shrink inflation or regular inflation, uh, but we're seeing some things begin to move in the other direction. Used cars also fell significantly um, over the last month or two. So uh, the, the other side of the equation, Bobby, you can jump in on. Yeah, well, I'll just touch on real quick what the numbers were. February CPI was up 6% year over year versus the estimate of 6% uh, year over year, which was good to see. The, but then you get into core goods, right? Goods is kind of what you're talking about. The eggs, maybe the cars was only up 1%. On one hand, that's great. But then you get into services was up 7.3% year over year. That is, you know, again, what we're talking about. That's where the inflation is coming from into the, the service sector. And that's where the employment is. And um, that's, you know, where we are. You look at month over month, February CPI was up 0.4 month over month uh, versus the estimate 0. 0.4 uh, and 0.5 was the prior. So, you know, again, I, I thought, you know, it could have been worse, the number. It was in line with expectations, which I guess we're happy to see. I, I again, Sandy, I was anxious coming in. And when that number was coming out this morning, I was I was a little nervous just because of everything with the banks the last couple of days. And if we got a hot number there and the Fed was going to be in a tough spot, what that was going to look like. You, you touched on that earlier. Uh, so not an awful number. Uh, you know, you got, you know, some of the biggest year over year changes. Airfare is is the largest by far over 20 percent. Again, consistent with the story. Natural gas after falling so far has has ticked up. We've got electricity. Motor vehicle maintenance and repair. Again, maybe some people, when the, the new cars, you weren't able to, you know, get a new car, you know, and I think the some of the labor issues there are causing prices to go up. Dairy, fuel oil, all up a little bit as Auto well. Auto insurance is also up significantly. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and and one of the other big big influences on uh, the uh, CPI is is shelter. Yeah. And shelter uh, jumped by. Uh, eight-tenths of a percent. And if we look at the annual increase, it's up 8.1%. So if you strip that out, which, you know, there's always, you can always slice and dice and get the numbers to to uh, to say what you want them to say. But if you pull out uh, shelter, which represents about 60% of the CPI increases, we're at 3.7 round numbers, uh, looking at it from that perspective. And shelter has increased at its fastest pace since 1982. So again, there are elements of, of the economy that are increasing much faster than others. And if we can get shelter and housing under control a bit, then I think we'll continue to see improvements at the fundamental CPI number. Yeah, that owner equivalence rent, you know, up 8% year over year is, is a big number, right? And that the interesting thing is that's part of services. You know, that's mm -hmm. where that falls under. And, you know, that's kind of driving that. I guess if we're looking for a positive, we've had some negatives in this in this uh, little podcast. It's that, you know, this drop in rates here recently in the last two to three days is good for mortgage rates. You know, that, you know, how long will it stay where it is? I don't know. We'll see. You know, the, the, the cleaner bill of health the banking industry gets, maybe rates begin to reprice. The Fed could come out and and you know get rates back up where they were but we saw such a drop in rates over the last three days four days that that's going to push mortgage rates down 
quickly. You know, anybody who bought a house eight, nine months ago might be able to refinance. But even then, I don't know if it's, you know, where rates were eight, nine months ago probably are where they are now or very close to it. Uh, but definitely a little bit of breathing room from that 7% interest uh, mortgage rate we were at, what, a week ago, 10 days ago. But any little help from, from housing and shelter, I think will be a, a pretty good um, help to inflation and the ability for the Fed to kind of just stop, you know, stop and let it go for, for a minute and see where rates are. And I think I really, Sandy, as we close this out in the next couple of minutes, I really think that's what the Fed's going to do. You know, I think the Fed is, you know, sure they might have to raise 25, but this is a good time for them and gives them an excuse to to stop, you know, and just say, okay, we've raised rates since March of last year. We've done it at such a rapid pace. Let's see what the shakeout is. We definitely see things breaking here. We, we don't want to break the financial, the banking. That'll be a whole other issues that we have to deal with. So I think if the Fed can, you know, just slow down a little bit and, and see where the economy is going to roll, you know, over these next couple of months and weeks, that, that might be good for the economy. And we'll see what that means for for the market, you know. But, you know, I think the Fed, this is, this is a wake-up call to them that higher rates are, are starting to filter through the economy. Yeah, you talk about, you know, the silver linings in some of these things. And, and I think about just the broader market. And you mentioned 1987. You know, there's been a lot of uh, volatility over that, you know, from 87 to today. And the market always adjusts to the current environment, the influences. And we've been at such a low interest rate environment for so long, and we won't debate the reasons why, but it only makes sense that the market, the economy, has to adjust with higher interest rates. And I do believe longer term, higher interest rates, zero interest rates aren't healthy. Interest rates at some level, you know, that's the system working uh, as it should. Should interest rates be a little lower, higher than they are today? I'm not suggesting that. But the interest rate increases had to happen. I guess that's my point. And it, it, it's painful, right, uh, when the market adjusts. And if we look at what happened to bond markets last year, that wasn't fun. If we look at where bond prices are today, CDs, bonds, they look very attractive. Yeah, I saw some CD rates today at five and a quarter, five point three yeah. one-year CDs. Pretty amazing. And that's you know, think about somebody on a on a, a fixed income or needing a, a ha, ha, having a lower risk tolerance. They have not had the opportunity to enjoy interest rates as it relates to bonds and CDs like we're having today. Um, and I, I think it's important to also say that we talk about certain things in the economy breaking. We talk about recession. We talk about the market going up and down significantly like we've seen over the last couple of years. Again, that's part of the market doing what it needs to do to remain healthy. Volatility isn't always a bad thing. It's not always fun. Um, so I think it's important for us to just remember and reiterate that you know it's not fun right now, but it's healthy. It's good for the longer-term stability of the market. And we don't want to be making investment decisions on a short-term basis around that. You know, um, a couple of quotes we like are, are sayings, your portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you handle it, the smaller it gets. And so trying to guess what to do with the bank failure on Friday and Saturday and 
you know, interest rate increases and inflation on a day-to-day -day basis, it's very dangerous. Um, and what we always talk about doing for our clients is building a boat that is good in all, all, you know, all seas, sunny days and clouds and, and even storms, and not making reactive, uh, you know, uh, adjustments to the portfolio based on, you know, short-term changes in the market. Yeah, if you're a 33-year-old individual saving in your 401k, you should be making no decisions right now based on what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank, you know, and to your point, if you're older and, and depending on this income, then you should have a different portfolio that's a little bit more durable, uh, potentially. So, yeah, thanks for that insight, Sandy. That's always good to remember. This is fun to talk about. I enjoyed our conversation today, and, and thanks for, for joining me. Yeah, likewise. It, it's been fun, and, and uh, look forward to the next one. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Beer Markets. For important disclosure information, please visit acgwealthmanagement.com forward slash podcast disclosure.